Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Today, I'm excited to have returning to the program, Amber Rose Hammond, who's the author of several fascinating books on Michigan history. Today, we're going to talk about one of her books about Ottawa County, which is the county located between the Lake Michigan shoreline all the way over to the western edge of Grand Rapids. Her book is called Wicked Ottawa County. And as you can imagine, it is a collection of sinful, tantalizing tales from the distant past. Welcome back, Amber Rose. I'm happy to have you back on the show for season two of this podcast. Oh, thank you, Michael, and congratulations on season two. That's exciting. Yes, we're... I'm still making it go, so it's really fun. You know, and your episodes that I did last year were among the top listened to of my interviews. In fact, one of your interviews was the number two interview that I did all oh, year. Oh, nice. And uh, so, yeah, so the people really love your uh, what you have to offer and the stories that you tell. But for those that maybe missed those earlier interviews, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in Michigan history? Yeah, I I actually started out with my journey in writing and, and uh, Michigan history it, with ghost hunting, of all things, because I started looking into haunted places around the state and getting involved with a local paranormal investigation group in West Michigan, and I realized that what I really liked was the stories behind how something becomes haunted. Uh, I didn't really enjoy going mm-hmm. into strangers' homes and trying to tell them that, like, it's a raccoon in your attic making noise, not a ghost, and stuff like that. <laughs> so I kind of, that's how I really fell in love with the local history, because you, when you're exploring folklore and haunted places and why something might be haunted, you really start digging for that local history that's forgotten or doing house history and finding interesting things about the people that lived, you know, somewhere previously. So that kind of got me interested Mm -hmm. in what I do. And then my true crime just sort of came at because when you're looking in these old newspapers and other sources and doing doing genealogy uh, well and in the ghost hunting world let's just face it a lot of ghost stories start with a crime i would find a lot of old true crime that was just forgotten about our areas in michigan and so that's how my book wicked ottawa county was born wow okay well i kind of am going down the same path myself i've done so many research projects related to my videos and podcast episodes that I decided to take your advice that you mentioned last year to me is to put together a true crime book. And I've been putting these little stories into, into a collection that I'm hoping to have out later this year. So it should be a, should be fun to launch something like that. So now Ottawa County is the home of what Grand Haven and Holland as well, right? Two of the bigger cities. Yeah. And they're both port cities on the Michigan shoreline. Is that correct? Uh, Grand Haven is. Grand and, Haven I mean, is, Holland's okay. Holland's on Lake Michigan, too, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they have plenty of ports. Okay. <laughs> but it's also a very interesting county because you have all this rich farmland yep. that had been forest at one time, we assume. And so all the stories go back quite a long time in Ottawa County. 
So are your stories from different parts of the county or are they maybe concentrated to one portion of it's, it? Or? I tried to find stuff from around the county. I mean, there's Holland, there's Conklin. Uh, I am a Grand Haven native. So, of course, there's multiple Grand Haven stories. Uh, Talmadge, Robinson right. Township, Unica area, Chester Township, Blendon Township. So there was, uh, and I think the majority, I probably have three or four Grand Haven three Holland because just the bigger areas, they were more populated. Um, and like you said, Ottawa mm -hmm. County going way back in the history of the state, Ottawa County did play a large before it was Ottawa County. Those that port of Grand Haven, because that's where the Grand River empties into Lake Michigan. So it was such an important route for people by boat to move products around. Um, fur trading was big. Some of the early fur trading that happened there uh, from Mackinac down to here. Mm -hmm. All kinds of cool history right there at that spot. So we, our history does go back pretty early in that part of the state and what is now Ottawa County. Uh, was, was it a, a big lumber county too? The yeah, day, they lumbered. Because they were poor yeah, cities. there was lumber yeah, always moving. Lumber. Uh, there's a, I'm forgetting what year it was, but on the Grand River, there was a massive, massive lumber backup on the river. And oh, it really? caused wow. so much so many problems and again i have to refresh my memory on the details of this but when you see pictures of this it's insane how many logs are just jammed and again i have to look it back up again but if, if you google that anyone out there listening google like the <laughs> grand river log jam of like the 1800s and you will be like whoa <laughs> oh, wow so you, can you tell us one of the stories from Wicked Ottawa County, your book? that? Uh... Yes. I think it would be fun to talk about Enos Lawrence murder because I know on the show where I talked about uh, prostitution in Grand Rapids with you, I mentioned mm -hmm. uh, briefly this murder because it's what it's how I discovered the prostitution situation and a lady named in Grand Rapids. So the story of how I found about out about all the prostitutes and all that, that awesome stuff in Grand Rapids was this murder of Enos Lawrence. And he was this guy living in Holland. He was 41 years old, strong, muscular guy, known to have a bad temper. His wife, Alice, mm -hmm. from what I could tell, their, their genealogy records, I remember they were really murky. Weren't, they weren't kept well. It was really hard to kind of peg dates on ages and stuff. But according to news reports, there was mm -hmm. a 14-year difference between the two, which is significant. Even though a lot of women, you kind of had that back in the day sometimes. She was 16 when she married him, which wasn't uncommon mm -hmm. for the late 1800s. Uh, but they didn't get along like a lot of couples. They had a couple kids. They had two daughters, a son, baby son. And Alice's brother, Raymond, moved to the Holland area from Detroit around like 1895 and he moved in with the family in April of 1896 and Enos did not really get along with her brother he he thought he was lazy he got he made some money doing some odd paint jobs for people he could play the violin so he'd play the violin around Holland or teach you know teach some lessons but all around he thought he was kind of a slacker so they would fight and Raymond definitely didn't like how Enos treated his sister. So for mm -hmm. in the middle of April, people noticed that Enos had been missing, like 
We haven't seen him around town. So they asked his wife, like, hey, where's your where's your husband been lately? And she's like, oh, he got a job up north and uh, we're going to we're going to quickly sell everything and we're going to move up north to be with him. So bye. (laughs) So her and Raymond (laughs) sell everything very quickly. And everyone's like, well, okay, sure, whatever. Didn't seem like it was an unbelievable story. Only a week Mm -hmm. after, so it had been now three weeks that no one had seen Enos, and Alice and Raymond have now moved up north to Kalkaska. There is a body found in in Holland, Michigan, and some unfortunate boater was just going along and saw a human foot sticking out of the water. (laughs) Like, oh, gross. Oh, boy. inspecting it, they pulled the body (laughs) from the water, and they found that it was Enos, and he had already been in there for a few weeks so he's not looking too good but they could tell there was a massive gash in the back of his head his brain was exposed he had a leather gag that the papers described they described it as it being wrapped so tightly around his head that it made his eyes bulge out and i don't know if that was because of the strap or just because of the body deteriorating in the water i don't know but and then he was wrapped tightly with rope around his body. And then they had put some kind of heavy, heavy like, mach- like farm equipment, kind of wrapped that uh, around him to try and keep him down, you know. But I swear, every time I look up stories and someone tries to put a body in the water, oh, that thing just comes floating back mm-hmm. up at some point. So not the way to go oh, to hide yeah. a body, I don't think. So... He had a coat wrapped around his head and everything. And anyway, they're like, well, let's go. Let's go find Alice. Because obviously she's suspect number one. Her and her brother took off rather quickly. And all of Holland is in shock when they find out that Alice and her brother are living in Kalkaska as husband and wife. So... Their brother and sister. So, of course, everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, incest. And the headlines are having a lot of fun with this one as, like, whole wife and sister shack up in Kalkaska. And but really, Alice stuck to her story during the whole time that the they her and Raymond. Because they obviously killed her husband, they thought if we go Uh to Grand Haven and we get married under fake names, we can have this marriage certificate to hang on our, hang in our living room when someone comes to visit us and they'll see these different names. And that's what, that's how they thought they were going to get away with it. So now when all of this got, when they got arrested, when they came, when Alice and Raymond were brought back to Holland, there was like a thousand people at the train station, like waiting and like screaming obscenities and yelling and saying, lynch them. And just, I think so many people showed up because again, this is sensational when stuff like this happens in the past, but you had that element of that possible incest. So everyone was extra like, Whoa, Whoa, (laughs) what is going on here? We're interested. But when everything went to, uh, the trial, there was a housekeeper that cleaned the Lawrence house. And she claimed that her and Raymond would take quote morning naps together and close the bedroom door after Enos left for work. 
And uh, the housekeeper's daughter claimed that she saw them in, quote, compromising positions, <laughs> um, that they would sneak out to some, like, shack in the backyard. And there was a bunch of people that were like, oh, that Angelette lady, that cleaning lady can't be trusted. Like, I think she's just doing this for attention. She likes being on the stand and uh, just having the spotlight on her. And so mm. I don't, I really don't think that that was the case. Um, even Alice's own daughter, who was still quite young, but said, I never saw my mom and uncle in any weird situations. I, you know, so I, I do think that they, they really did think that this was the way to hide that they were a brother and sister. You know, the, the police are looking for a brother and sister, right. not a married couple. So right right they, uh, anyway so they get they they get brought back they get put on trial and all kinds of stuff starts coming out because they're like okay raymond is a really small petite guy and they're like how did you guys get this big giant muscular enos like into the water and wrap him up like they there was people feeling like there was a third person and mm-hmm. but raymond's story was that he just saw heard alice and enos in a fight one night and we had a didn't like the way he treated his sister and then just uh took an axe to his head and that was that and then just uh put him in a wheelbarrow and uh wrapped him up and then dumped him in the water and that was that so people oh. like like i said the prosecutor and stuff were like mm, mm, you're a tiny dude i don't know i don't know if that's how it went down that that seems too simple so uh he ends up getting put in the jail for life they did give him a life sentence, although he didn't serve a life sentence. And uh, so doctors also felt that Enos was killed by strangulation and not the blow to the head. Part of that being this leather strap right. that was around his mouth that possibly caused the suffocation. So that's where they started having these like, hmm, who helped you out? And uh, so it only took the jury 30 minutes to deliver a verdict of first degree murder for Raymond. And that was that. So he was sent off, sent off to jail. And then it's Alice's turn to take the stand. And this is where things get even more complicated because she starts saying that this Dr. Jared Wetmore was their third person. And Dr. Jared Wetmore Mm. is like a kind of a, a playboy around Holland and uh, the area. He is considered handsome. The ladies love him. His, he's married with kids, but his wife just puts up with his womanizing ways. And I think he's one of these, he's a doctor, but it was so easy to become a doctor back in the day. Um, so I don't know mm-hmm. necessarily what he was really good at. They just, he's Dr. Jared Wetmore. That's all they ever said. And he did right. leave the state shortly after Alice and Raymond were arrested, which kind of put some suspicion on him. But he claimed he had gone to Wisconsin to help with a surgery on his sister, Georgie Young. And that's where I heard about Georgie Young and who she was and being this like big, you know, brothel keeper of Grand Rapids. Uh, And I think she even Mm. came and visited while Jared was on trial. Um, She came into the courtroom and everyone was just aghast, like, oh my gosh, there she is. And by this point, in 1897, she had put her prostitution days behind her. She was not running houses of ill repute, uh, but she was still people. Mm-hmm. She was still in the memory of people at that time. So uh, Jared 
Alice ends up saying that, yeah, he was, it was his idea to put the suffocate him, to put the leather strap in his mouth. Jared helped us out. And that she even had a relationship with Jared, that it wasn't her brother that she was hooking up with, but it was Jared that she had on the side. So it gets oh. like so much drama, but then she takes it all back and says, Oh, well, I was just saying that because I was just trying to figure things out and figure out how to get my brother off the hook. So yeah, I really didn't have a relationship with Jared. Um, it's just like, oh my gosh. So you're sitting there wondering, did somehow she get threatened by Jared? Because I just felt like hmm. this guy was sort of unscrupulous. Like he was shady. There was something about him. He obviously didn't care about like feelings mm-hmm. too much, especially with like his own wife. And I just wondered, like, maybe her kids were threatened. Maybe he did something because she was going to be going in, into jail. Her husband's dead. So, yeah. you know, hey, if you don't uh, take back that story, um, maybe something's going to happen to your kids. You know, I don't know. I just speculate that kind of stuff. But she suddenly recanted everything. Yeah. And so she ends up getting put into jail. She goes to the um, corrections facility in Detroit for women. And I really yeah. don't know what came of her because she was really hard to track. Yeah. And when you do genealogy, sometimes women can be hard because if they get married, if it wasn't documented, the marriage, and then their name changes, the last name, it's like sometimes right. those people, they're just gone. But she yeah. also claimed that uh, Jared, uh, Dr. Wetmore, had used chloroform to knock Enos out. And then that's how they were able to kind of, because like all the descriptions of this guy is that he's muscular. He's a big guy. And then put the leather right. strap on him to suffocate him. And then Jared told Raymond, okay, we got to make things more believable. So I'll put that ax in his head. <laughs> like gross. Like we got to add a little, little mm. touch to the, you know, a little sugar on top. Um, so mm. anyway, Jared had to sit in jail for months uh, he's eventually let go, like I said, because Alice claimed she just tried to implicate him to get this lesser sentence for herself and her brother. And then Jared leaves the state. He goes to Oregon. And I thought it was also suspicious because, like, I think this was in 1905, the Grand Haven Police Department mm-hmm. or Holland or that area, uh, I think it was the Holland one, they get a note from wherever he's at in Oregon and then they're like some detective or something's asking about him. Like, uh, so this guy's up to no good over here. Can you guys like share, shed some light on this guy? (laughs) So he was off being notorious Mm -hmm. in Oregon still. That's why I'm like, Ooh, I don't trust that guy. There's something shady about him. So I took the jury 19 hours to decide on second degree murder and a 20 year sentence at the Detroit correctional facility uh, for women for Alice. And like I said, I don't know, if she got out, if she died there, but she tried to get pardoned and she wrote a poem to <laughs> the pardon board. And it's, it's very sappy, but mm-hmm. it's like, I was a girl of like 16 wed to a man much, you know, just, I don't know. It, it's the, mm-hmm. the newspaper printed it. It didn't work. Uh, so they didn't appreciate her sappy, sad poem. And Raymond, he spent 14 years in prison, but he did get pardoned in November uh, of 1910. And he ended up getting married. He married a candy maker from Grand Rapids and they ended up moving to Battle Creek. So he never got himself in trouble again, but it's just, it's always a bummer when you can't track 
someone in one of your stories. It, you kind of just have to leave it open-ended and hope maybe down the road, like if some more records are found or just something else gets right. digitized that you're like, whoa, whoa, there's information about this person. But, you know, I obviously she... Right, and when they go to... When they go to prison, it's also hard to get the records, especially of these old yeah. ones, from the prison because they still don't release them. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I had trouble trying to find information going to the state of Michigan archives, trying to find anything on the uh, prisoners in the Jackson prison. Yeah. And I just ran into a dead end. You yep. know? And yeah, sometimes you do hit privacy stuff still, even with things that are quite old where you're like, wow, I actually, wow, that's still locked up yeah uh but yeah and then it just sometimes people just disappear and so i assume she was never notorious again because i you know don't think i found any more stories about her but again if you got if you change your name get married uh you, you can just be lost to time yeah yeah well the, the leather strap thing too also they probably put that thing around him when it was wet so it shrank when it dried yes and that would account for his eyes bugging okay, out yep. you know or it could have been it could have been it was put around him and before he's thrown in the yep. river and when they pulled the body out and let it dry out it you know it was a post-mortem yep. thing you know so it's well interesting uh Interesting intrigue there with all those parties involved. Yeah, and just how the story kind of <laughs> weaved in and out, uh, you know, especially with the shocking everyone, getting everyone riled up. I love when, like, old-time stories get everyone riled up over something like the incest thing, and they're ready to mm -hmm. lynch the two people oh, yeah. just because they believe them, you know, to be uh, actually for real incestuous. But I, I do believe Alice on that point, that they just thought they could get away with it. Uh with new identities as husband and wife. So I'll give her, I'll give her some points for that one. Like I believe you, Alice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And all those people showing up at the yep. train station is kind of an interesting part yep. of the story. So do you have any other ones from the area you well, want to share? We are kind of at this point, uh, we're recording on February 5th here. And so we are approaching Valentine's day and I, right. you, there is no shortage of, love stories that end in murder uh so mm -hmm. i would uh there was one i had found uh, and it took place kind of in the conklin area and the guy's name caught my attention because his name was egbert happy dyke happy just being his nickname <laughs> but i was like oh that's kind of an adorable <laughs> little name and he had been yeah. dating this girl molly fleming for four years he was older. Again, he was 33. He was a car. She was only 22. So they started dating. I mean, she's like, you know, 18 years old. And she always claimed like the age didn't bother her. It was no big deal. Uh, but he was mm -hmm. Catholic or no, he, he wasn't Catholic. And her family okay. was Catholic. So that was an issue. I'm not sure if it was a Protestant Catholic thing, which I know with my own grandparents, my grandpa was Protestant. Mm -hmm. My grandma was Catholic. And, oh, the parents did not like that. <laughs> there was, like, there was mm -hmm. like some bitter angst yeah. uh, at the beginning of their uh, relationship with the parents over that one. So, But they had been dating for four years. And she was a teacher at the Big Spring School in Conklin. And she would, during the week, stay at a farm uh, 
the family was called the Knaufs, K-N-A-U-F-F. And okay. she, I think it's just so she didn't have to get a ride back home all week. And she started noticing their their son, Edward. And he was much closer to her age. And one day, mm-hmm. uh, we'll just call him Happy from this point on, but Happy shows up with a 100-pound bag of sugar that he wanted to drop off at Molly's family's home. And she's coming out of the house well-dressed with this Edward Knopf. And he's like, whoa, uh, where, what, what are you guys doing? And she looked at him and said, I'm going to a dance tonight with Edward. So uh, we're not hanging out tonight. And he's like, oh, okay. This is this is kind of a bummer. And this is in the 20s. Um, so right. she ends up calling it quits with him, says, I'm, I'm now engaged to Edward. We're not anymore. But she continues, according to Happy, continues to write him. He had moved to Grand Rapids and weekly would get letters from her kind of declaring that she still had a thing for him. So I felt like this woman was sort of trying to balance both guys. Like I was with him for four years and he's really comfy. So I don't want to lose him just yet. And he really loves me, really Mm -hmm. likes me, but Hey, this new guy over here, he's closer to my age and he's handsome. And so, you know, I, I think she was trying to play both of them. So he kind of thought, okay, I'm going to give it my all. I think she still loves me. I'm going to show up at her school on October 17, 1924, and just mm-hmm. talk to her, and we're going to sort this out, and we're going to continue dating and get married. So he shows up at the school. <laughs> she has, Molly has one of her friends there, and so the friend witnesses this, and immediately Molly just starts belittling happy, like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You're not welcome. And so happy there was some kind of wood shack in the back of the school. And he went, sat in there, smoked a cigarette, was stewing. And so when her class was done, she tells her friend Henrietta, I'm, I got to sort this out. I got to call it off with him. So she goes out to the wood shop. A lot of people reported hearing yelling because there were still students around. Her friend Henrietta was kind of listening. And then like two blood curdling screams. So the kids heard that. Henrietta mm. hears that. She runs over to a neighbor's farm to call to, to get the police involved. But it was the kids that were brave and just straight up ran to see what was going on with their teacher. And Happy mm-hmm. had already taken off. He saw what he did. The kids found their teacher on the floor of this wood shack with blood pooled around the back of her head. And her head had been chopped in with an axe. So we got two stories here, both axe wounds to the head. The old axe murder, the weapon of choice for that period of time. And (laughs) hey, you know what? He's in a woodshed. So there is probably, like, the axe was just there. Plenty of options. (laughs) So those poor kids, they find, and she was still breathing. When the guy from the neighboring farmhouse came, he he took her body, carried her, and she passed away. and I think in a few hours. So they weren't able to help her do anything for her. It was too bad. So meanwhile, Happy's on the run. They know who did it. Mm-hmm. So warrants out for his arrest. He goes off into the woods. So he's got a razor, but he can't do anything with it because I guess the razor was really dull. So he's trying to kind of chop at his neck. He's trying to cut at his wrist. And it's just like 
it's just scratching him mm-hmm. and causing him to be like a little bloody and sore. Uh, I also think mm-hmm. like if he had really wanted to kill himself, he could have. Um, he could have. Right. He could have. The razor still could have worked. And there was also carbolic acid found in his car later that he clearly intended to drink but didn't. So he mm-hmm. hides under. The police are looking all over for this guy, and the whole time he is hiding under the Marne police station. And so he's literally <laughs> under wow. the police officer's boots, uh, under some porch or wow. something. So when nighttime falls, he had a key to a local fairgrounds. He walked over there, cleaned up a little bit, and then just realized, like, I'm an idiot. I killed the love of my life. I need to turn myself in. And so he is walking in, like, past a gas station, and some woman looks out, recognizes him. So the cops Mm -hmm. show up. He doesn't try to fight it. He lets himself be arrested. And when they, he was kind of described as like socially inept. So I don't know if some, Mm -hmm. like if there, if he was just had that little, like, I don't know, that little disconnect sometimes with people. Uh, I didn't really get a lot of physical descriptions about him. I don't know if he was like handsome or super Mm -hmm. tall or, or what his thing was, but everyone at this point just described him as like the saddest, most just depressing looking thing ever. Uh, because hmm. they, people kind of felt a little bad for him, even though he did like this horrible mm-hmm. thing and killed this mo- like sweet Molly Fleming, like, Ooh, everyone's kind of like, the, it's that pulling at the heartstrings like, Oh, but she was taunting mm-hmm. him and like saying that she still loved him and he was just crushed. And I, you know, So he claimed that he only remembered hitting her, striking her twice in the head in the wood shack and claims that it was like her jibes and taunts and stuff that like just set him over the edge. He does not remember hitting her with an ax. So whether he just blanked out in like crazy anger, of course, they start using as his defense, like temporary insanity. But he does not remember right. doing that, but he did not deny that, you know, he's like, obviously he knew he was the reason why she was dead. So, but Molly's sister, Inez, uh, during the trial also said that her sister told her that Happy had threatened her a little bit. Like, you know, if I can't have you, no one will. Mm-hmm. And there was someone else right. out there, too, that remembered him saying that I would rather see her in a grave than the wife of Ed Knopf. So that's where they were like, ooh, was this premeditated? I mean, he's got this razor in his car. He's got the carbolic acid. He knows he leads her to a wood shack, knowing that there's weapons in there. Maybe no one would see him do it in the wood shack. So there's all this speculation. Right. But he ends up getting manslaughter. And her family, they, they were livid over that. And even the judge was like, he looked at the jury and was like, are you sure? <laughs> like yeah, you're yeah. going with manslaughter. But again, like people felt bad for him. It was this like, I right. guess it worked in his favor because obviously he was relieved with a manslaughter sentence, but it pulled, like I said, it pulled at heartstrings, even though it's like, I, I, I don't get it too. I think, mm-hmm. I think you don't villainize her, but you still look and go, Ooh, girl, why were you playing both people? 
Like, mm, and I think right, that's right. what people were looking at too. Then they were like, well, you know, she shouldn't have been doing that to him. Maybe she had what was common to her. <laughs> like just that, that horrible, horrible yeah, rationalization. Know, the, the social, <laughs> the social dynamics mm-hmm. of the time were like that oh, yeah. too. You know, the woman was supposed to be more proper and not do that yep. sort of thing. And there was always sympathizing towards the man. And, and actually, I think in the in the legal system during that 1800s period, and even in the early 1900s, there was a lot more first-degree murder cases that really should have been first-degree murder that got away with a land uh, with a manslaughter oh, yeah. charge. You know, and I found several cases like that that I've been doing the research on. I'm going, wow, you really. He really went there and gave this person manslaughter. I mean, he just beat his wife to death, you know, with a with a baseball mm-hmm. bat. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's witnesses that saw him do it, you know, and you have sympathy because he called her names or she called him names, yeah. you know. And I, it was a case like that um, in that I've been uh, covering the story on here on my podcast before. And there's a few other cases like that, you know, with a stabbing where the guy literally stabbed a guy in rage and they had him on first degree murder charges and they ended up getting it overturned in an appeal and turning it into manslaughter about a year later you know so interesting and like you said that would happen to a lot of situations with with women a lot i mean my very Mm -hmm. first story that i ever looked up uh, that was associated with a haunting in grand haven the guy had killed his wife uh, and he was re- like super drunk. So I, I mean, part of it's probably why it's not premeditated, but um, still he got mm-hmm. off on like this little manslaughter charge and was like, and he was even let off like early. I think there was a bigger fine. Like he'd either have to pay 500 or 1200. And the judge said, well, you know, just charge him the 500. No big deal. <laughs> like, wow. 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 Yeah. A lot more leniency mm-hmm. back then. Well, that, there, how many stories are actually in the book, in case fans oh. were wanting to get a copy? Because you've got... Let's quickly count. At least a dozen or uh, more? Yeah, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15! <laughs> 15 with a... 15 stories. 15 stories with an intro and a conclusion. Wow, so folks, you got to read Wicked Ottawa County. She's got a whole bunch of other amazing stories like that available in the book. Um, so, do you have any other projects coming up for 2023? Other oh, books in the works, boy. or I, any? Just this week. Well, I've been working on. I'm going to be promoting this year my my latest book, Mysterious Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. I because my book came out at the end of August, and then kind of fall hits, and then just winter and the holidays roll in. So, uh, I knew I would be promoting and getting out there and talking more uh, about it. Uh, this year. So I'll be doing a lot of speaking Mm -hmm. gigs. I'll be speaking at a couple uh, paranormal conferences. Uh, There's one up in the Sioux in August, the Michigan Paracon, Mid-Michigan Paracon, which is in November. And that is at Soaring Eagle Casino in Mount Pleasant. I will be doing something a little uh, out of my comfort zone this year and speaking at a UFO conference. Um, on some wow. kind of interesting, uh, weird stuff. So that happens at Houghton Lake in September. It is a really fun time. Uh, I am kind of working on maybe maybe the start of another book, but I'm not quite sure yet. It would be in the same vein of like the stuff I, I typically do with like quirky history stories around the state. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And then I'm also from my mysterious Michigan book. One of the stories in there is on this woman, Marion Spore Bush, who I absolutely love. She's okay. a uh, artist that was she, she was the first dentist, female dentist in uh, Bay City and or well probably Bay County, and uh, mm-hmm. she ended up turning into like this sort of painter that was guided by spirits who she called they really, really fascinating story, but mm-hmm. I've been continuing research about her. I have a website that will be launching soon called marionsporebush.com with all of her. I'm trying to find all of her known works, all of her paintings because she painted a lot wow. and her stuff is just sort of buried out there. She's kind of becoming just a little more discovered. Some of her, her family let some of her artwork finally go and it went to auction and uh, there was a painting I wanted, really bad. So I was I was ready to spend some money, and uh, it went for right. thirty thousand. And that was a little bit, Holy. little bit out of my little yeah. bit out of the ticket <laughs> range, a little bit. Huh? Little bit. <laughs> I do own some of her work that I wow. was I, I thankfully got much much cheaper um, over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's that's kind of like my ongoing projects for twenty twenty three. We'll see what we'll see what happens and what they turn into. Oh, that's great. Well, that's always exciting. So where can they find out and get copies of your books? I know you have your website. Why don't you go ahead and tell us yeah, that again? Yeah, you can find uh, all of my books at any major bookseller, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, your local independent bookstore. Can They can order them if they don't have them. You can head over to MysteriousMichigan.com and order directly from me. You'll get cool stickers, and I can sign them and whatever you want. And then, uh, yeah, those are the two best places to to grab a copy. Um, you can hear me blab some. Oh, go ahead. I actually think I saw some of your books available in Walgreens. Yes. Okay. The, it's so funny. Every time my friends go into Walgreens, they take pictures of my books because there's some kind of deal with Walgreens and Arcadia Press. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I'm History Press, oh. which is a division of Arcadia, but they they stock they tend to stock a lot mm-hmm. of their books. So. Uh, which is nice. It's cool. Yeah. Um, and Target. I was in Target this year. I was like, oh, that's a new big box store that I haven't. That's haven't cool. Seen. That's cool. So that was that was kind of nice. But um, you know, in a lot of local libraries, are, especially if I've spoken at that library, they they always pick up the book. Um, if you know, if you're not, because I know there's people that don't like to buy books. They like to just you know, but they mm-hmm. want to read it. Go to your public libraries because yeah. I love public libraries. So yeah. All right. That's great. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, yes, Amber thank Rose. You, Michael. And we always get such great, entertaining stories from you. And I look forward to having you back on again. And maybe we can talk again about Mysterious Michigan when you launch your campaign Sounds again fun. this year. Um, that's That should be a lot of fun. So I have been speaking with Amber Rose Hammond. She is the author of several amazing Books on Michigan history, and we've been talking about her book, Wicked Ottawa County. And I will be putting the links in the show note descriptions of this episode of where you can get copies of the book, and I'll even put in the Amazon link for you as well. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. I believe you can also write messages to Ambrose Hammond on her website, and I will include that link as well. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more 
fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.